We believe that God is the good and eternal creator of all things, seen and unseen, and that he has spoken authoritatively to us through his written word. We believe that every single human being is made by God and for God and therefore is important to God, no exceptions. We also believe that every human being is sinful and broken, that even the best of us have deep-rooted evil in our hearts that comes out in all sorts of ugly ways in our actions, in our words, in our attitudes, no exceptions there either. We also believe that God was unwilling to let our sins have the final say over our eternity. And so he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ to save us and to open the eyes of our darkened hearts. We believe that Jesus didn't just perform miracles and love people and live a sinless life. He didn't even just die on the cross, but actually three days later, he literally and physically rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death and hell and to offer to every single person in this room eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. That's what we believe. We believe that through Jesus, yes, we get heaven later. But right now, we get power and purpose and comfort and guidance and a family of faith to lean on for the rest of our life, starting right now. You cannot earn the grace of God by your good works and you cannot lose it because of your bad ones. Otherwise, it would not be grace. No one is so good they don't need grace. No one is so bad they can't have it. But even in this very moment, the arms of Jesus Christ, the resurrected King, are open to you. For anyone who would reach up to him and stand on his gospel. That's what we believe. Isn't that good? It's, it's so easy to get distracted or to lose the beauty of why we're here. The good news, the gospel. And that video, I love that video because it reminds us in all of the craziness that is 2023 and all of the the fighting between Christians and non-Christians, like that is the message that has been passed down to us over the past 2,000 years. And the Christian church hasn't always gotten that that message right. Like we've we've taken some some pretty bad detours and gone down some pretty bad bunny trails. But that that's the gospel that we have today. It's the good news, and it's beautiful and it's powerful and it's life changing. And I want you to hold on to that because we're gonna we're gonna come back to that later on in the message. But I wanted to give you that video because uh, we're gonna re- I'm gonna refer back to that halfway through the message. But before we get to the message, one quick announcement, and that is that our MB Life magazine is available. It is in the lobby, or, or there's digital copies online, May through August. All of our events are in here, life groups, um, all of our share opportunities, everything that you want to know about May through August is in here. But none of that is the reason this is my favorite magazine we've ever produced. Uh, the reason that this is my favorite magazine and, and uh, 11 years of working here that we've ever produced. Uh, the theme for this magazine is true story, the power in telling yours. 
And on almost every page of this magazine are stories, testimonies, little clips from Northbrookers about how God is at work in their life. And uh, it's really encouraging, really powerful. So even if you're like, you know what, we are completely booked this summer. We don't need to know what's going on at Northbrook this summer. I want to I want to encourage you to grab one of these magazines and just page through and read the little blurbs, little testimonies, little stories from Northbrookers about how God is at work in their life. I think you'll be glad you did. So again, you can grab those on your way out or you can find digital copies online. All right. Well, uh, if you're new, my name is John, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are in week two of our series as we inch closer to summer. You know, we had snow on Monday, so that was the thing. I'm glad none of you are cheering that we had snow. That's, that's good. Sometimes Mike seems a little too happy when we get snow. Uh, but I do want to remind you that we are just 35 weekends away from Christmas. <laughs> so I didn't say that was a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a factual thing. But it does help lead into the, my next comment, which is my wife's favorite Christmas movie is White Christmas. Now, anyone like White Christmas? Some White Christmas fans? Okay. Uh, in White Christmas, if you haven't seen White Christmas, there are two sisters named Betty and Judy Haynes. And Betty and Judy Haynes, at the beginning of the movie, are trying to make it big in show business. And uh, their brother sends a letter to two of his uh, uh, friends that were his buddies in the army. And these friends are named Bob Wallace and Phil Davis, and they have made it big in show business. And so uh, the Haynes sisters' brother sends them a letter and says, hey, you're going to be in the same town as my sisters. As a favor to an old army buddy, would you go check out their show and give them some free advice? And so Bob Wallace and Phil Davis don't really want to go to the show, but reluctantly they go to the show as a favor to an old army buddy. They see the show. And then they sit down with the sisters after the show, and it is only after the show that Judy reveals to Bob that it actually wasn't their brother that sent him the letter, that it was actually her sister Betty who wrote the letter as Bob, as her brother, to Bob, because she didn't think that they would show up and visit them if if the sisters wrote Bob and Phil a letter, but they knew that they would probably show up if their brother wrote them a letter. I know it's complicated, but hopefully you're tracking with me. And Bob Wallace replies, and I love this reply, don't apologize. Everybody's got an angle. Don't apologize. Everybody's got an angle. Near the end of my sophomore year of college, I applied for and got the RA position for the following year on my floor at resident assistant. Uh, position. And the resident assistant position uh, came with a few perks other than the obvious of getting paid. Um, chief among the perks was I got my own room, but I also got to pick the two guys that would be my suite mates for the following year in the room next to mine. And those two rooms were bigger than all the other rooms and they were centrally located. So everybody wanted to be suite mates of the RA. And so once word got out on my floor that I was going to be the RA the next year, suddenly guys that hadn't talked to me all year wanted to be my friend and get to know me. Until they found out I'd already picked my suite mates and then they suddenly evaporated into thin air. Because everybody's got an angle. In our cynical moments, it can feel that way. Ever felt that way? Maybe you... Maybe you had that light bulb moment where you were with someone and you were like, oh, wait a minute. This is, this is why you want to hang out with me. Maybe uh, a high school classmate connects with you and they just, they just want to, you know, check in, see how life's going. And then later, you know, down the road, they reveal that they've started this new business and they would love for you to be a part of it. 
Or maybe a family member connects with you out of the blue and they just really missed you and they really want to connect and then eventually like they ask for that big favor. It's easy to go through life feeling like everyone's got an angle. When week two of our series exploring the book of First Thessalonians, today we'll be in chapter two, verses one through twelve. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, you can, or it'll be on the screens. As Pastor Mike stated last week, First uh, Thessalonians is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a church he planted in Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was a large town in modern-day Greece. You can find it there on the screens. It had a seaport on the Aegean Sea, and it was a principal stop on the Ignatian Way, which was a major Roman road. So it's really important to understand that the people there were accustomed to visitors constantly coming through their town with a product to sell, a business to start, a need to be met, or I guess you could say everybody that came to Thessalonica had an angle. So Paul shows up in Thessalonica and he shares the gospel and some people come to faith and Paul plants a church and then he is chased out of town by an angry mob. He doesn't really get closure. He doesn't really get to say goodbye. He's, he's chased out of town. And the Christians there are, are persecuted, but more than that, they, they begin to wrestle with questions. There are rumors and gossip going around Thessalonica about why Paul was actually in Thessalonica. What was Paul's angle really? Maybe Paul was just trying to make money. Maybe, maybe he was going to be asking them for money in the future. Maybe Paul was trying to make a name for himself. Maybe Paul was trying to have power over them. Maybe Paul was trying to start some weird cult. And so these rumors and this gossip is going around the town about what Paul's angle was really for coming to Thessalonica. And Paul sends Timothy, his mentee, to Thessalonica. And Timothy hears the rumors. He talks to the Christians. He hears the gossip. And he reports back to Paul. And so as Paul writes this letter to the church in Thessalonica, part of what Paul is doing and, and what he is doing in the part of scripture we're going to be reading today is he's refuting those rumors. He's refuting the rumors that he had in angle. And so as we read the 12 verses that we have for today, I want you to try to see if you can pick up on, on what Paul is refuting. What are the rumors? What is, he, what is he refuting? But also, I want you to listen in for what Paul says was actually his purpose. What was his goal in coming to Thessalonica? Because he shares that as well. You with me? All right. I was like, I was less than half of you. I'm a little nervous. Everyone with me? Okay. Thank you. First Thessalonians chapter two, verses one through 12. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from air or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. 
We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So hopefully you picked up on some of the things that Paul is refuting as he writes those 12 verses. He says, look, this isn't a trick. There's no trick. There's no angle. This isn't about greed. He even reminds them, remember, when I was with you, I didn't ask you for anything. In fact, I worked a regular job so that I could share the gospel with you, but not have to ask you for anything. He says, you know, I could have come in and acted like a big deal and, and asserted my authority, but instead I came in as a little child, meek and humble. Right? And he goes through all, of, all, he reminds them of how it went down when he was there. He says, there's no angle. So what was Paul's reason for being there? He states it a couple times in these 12 verses, a couple times, but, but let's look at verse 8 again. Paul says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. well Paul says, my, my goal was sharing the gospel. Coming to you, and I wanted to share my life with you, but, but really, I wanted to share the gospel with you. Now, that, that word gospel... Right, thousands of years later, when we hear gospel, it can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. But, but that word gospel is a Greek word, and it is translated literally good news. In fact, that word is primarily a word that was used in battle. So back then, when the Greeks went off to battle, remember, there's no internet. This is pre-Twitter. This is pre-TV, right? So, so your army would go off to battle, and you would not know what was happening. You'd send your, your husbands, your sons, your fathers out to battle, and then you would just sit in your city, and, and one of two things would happen. Either they would be successful, or they would be unsuccessful, they would be killed, and then an invading army would be at your door a couple weeks later. And so uh, when your army was successful, when, when they conquered the enemy, they would spend, send back a runner, and that runner would run back to your city, and they would literally come in and say, I have the gospel of the battle, or the good news of the battle. And so when Paul says, I came to to you to share the gospel of God, what Paul is saying is, I came to your town to share with you good news of God. God's good news. And what is God's good news? We just watched it in that video. God's good news is, first off, there's only one God. And that God is more loving and more involved in our world than many civilizations dared to dream. In fact, he was so involved that he sent his son to earth. His son lived and died and rose again for our sins to bring us into relationship with God. And now there's an opportunity for all of us, regardless of, of, of race or gender or anything else, all of us have an opportunity to be in relationship with that God. If we repent and turn to him, that God wants to be in a relationship with us. And not only do we get heaven in the future, but more than that, we get an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in the world right now. Not so, we're not earning anything when we do good things for God, right? That's grace. Grace is a gift. But rather, when we accept the invitation to be a part of what God is doing in the world, we find purpose and meaning for our life. Paul goes to Thessalonica and he shares good news with people that had never heard that. He says, that's my goal. My goal is to share the good news 
of God. And Paul was willing to be chased out of towns. He was willing to be thrown in prison. He was willing to be tortured. He was willing to be condemned, rejected, to share that message. So what do we do with that? Like, that's great, good for Paul, but like, how does that apply to tomorrow? When you and I go to work or stay home with our kids or go to school, like, what do we do with that? Well, as I was praying and and reading through these 12 verses, I felt like I was challenged in two areas. And so that's what I'm going to share with you. I'm going to share with you two challenges coming out of these 12 verses. And my prayer, my goal is that the Holy Spirit would nudge you in at least one of these two areas. And you would feel an opportunity to grow in one of these two areas this week. So, here we go. First challenge for you. Number one, love others deeply. Love others deeply. Now, if you grew up in church, you're like, oh, I already knew that, John. But I want to challenge you. Stay with me. Why was Paul willing to share good news with the people of Thessalonica? Why was he willing to be chased out of town and, and, and thrown in prison and all the things we talked about? Why was he willing to endure all that? He says it in verse 8. He says, because, and then he says something, we are willing to share the gospel of God with you. Do you remember that? Because, he says, because your city was a mess and you people really need to get it together. No, that's not what he says. He says, because God told me I have to. No, that's not what he says. He says, because I want the world to be a good place for my children and y'all are messing it up. No, that's not what he says either. He says, because we loved you so much. These are people Paul had never met. What do you mean you loved us? Paul, you'd never met us. Paul had an ability that we all have, but it's, it's not easy to love people when he, when he saw them, to see past the coldness. I mean, when you show up in Thessalonica, a place where everyone has an angle, people are gonna, gonna be cold towards you. They're gonna wonder what your motive is. They're not gonna welcome you with open arms. So when Paul shows up in this town, we can bet that the, the people there resisted him at first, but Paul shows up and he sees past the coldness, the prickliness, he sees past it all, and he loves them because he sees them as God sees them. People with value. People with worth, created in God's image. And so Paul says, I showed up in your, in your city because I loved you. That's the motive. That's, that's why I showed up, because I loved you. Followers of Jesus in the room, when we wake up each day, the foundation of what we do, the foundation of what you and I do, cannot be winning a culture war or protecting our rights or using the gospel as a weapon to get what we want. The foundation of what we do will always be love. Love is the foundation of what we do. Love was the foundation for Paul in sharing the good news. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if you grew up in church, you've been to a few weddings, you've heard 1 Corinthians 13, and I think we've heard it so much, it starts to lose its power. But try to listen to this as if you're hearing it for the first time. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 
I don't know about you, but if I know someone that has faith that can move mountains, they're going to be pretty high on my esteem list. Paul says, if you have faith that can move mountains and love is the foundation of what, of why you're doing that, you're nothing. Love was the foundation for Paul. In the Old Testament, there's a story, and again, if you grew up in church, you're familiar with the story. If you went to Sunday school or, or Bible school, you probably heard it, about a guy named Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet. God tells Jonah, he says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the most evil, the w- most wicked city in the known world. And God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to that evil, wicked city, and I want you to tell them, I'm, I, I've had it up to here with how evil and how wicked they are. I am going to destroy them. I want you to go tell them. And Jonah, instead of obeying, he goes the opposite way because that's a good idea. He gets on a boat and he, he heads in the opposite direction. And if I'm going to disobey God, I'm going to just tell you right now, I'm not getting on a boat. <laughs> I'm going to be on land. Take my chances on land for sure. But Jonah gets on a boat and he goes the opposite direction. And a storm comes and uh, the sailors throw him overboard eventually. And a fish comes and swallows him. And he spends three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. And he repents because what else is he going to do? And the fish, you know... Let's him out, and he's like, okay, I'm going to go to Nineveh this time. Good call. So he goes to Nineveh, and he says to the people, look, God has headed up to here with you. He's sick of all your wicked, evil ways. He's going to destroy you. And the people repent. They're saddened to hear that, and they repent. And God says, because they've repented, actually, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to destroy them. I'm going to show them grace. End of story. Roll the credits. Yay. Only that's not the end of the story. Not the end of the story at all. Plot twist, Jonah's angry. And we pick up the story in chapter 4 after God has decided to show mercy and grace to the Ninevites. Chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, the God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's, that could be the, most, the three most fascinating verses in all of the Old Testament. Jonah essentially says, this is exactly why I didn't want to come here. It wasn't because I was scared of these people, and it wasn't because I was lazy. I didn't want to come here because I was afraid if I came here and told these people what you want me to tell them, that they would repent and you would show them love and mercy. And now that that's exactly what happened, I'm so angry that you're not going to punish them and you're giving them grace that I want to die. And the book of Jonah ends. There's no conclusion. Like, it just ends with God saying, I want to show these people grace. You need to deal with it. And Jonah being angry. And remember, the book of Jonah, it's written in a context. It is written for the Jewish people. It's included in the scriptures because it's for the Jewish people. And what is the book of Jonah teaching the Jewish people? The book of Jonah is teaching the Jewish people, stop wishing calamity on your enemies and start praying that they repent and receive God's grace instead. See, God's heart from the very beginning has always been grace. It's always been that his children, all of his children, would receive grace, that they would repent, that they would change, and they would receive the grace and love of God. And here's where we get into trouble, because if we are honest as followers of Jesus, we all have people in our life where we are like, I cannot wait till they get what they sow, that you reap what you sow, and God, I can't wait till you show up and judge them. 
And when we do that, our heart is far from God's heart. Because God doesn't take joy in, in punishing people. God's joy is when people turn to him and receive mercy and grace and receive the good news. And so as his followers, if our hearts are going to be the same as his, our responsibility is to love the people that are hard to love. It doesn't mean we don't set boundaries with certain people, right? Like it's a whole nother discussion, right? It doesn't mean that, right? But, but our job as followers of Jesus is to love the people that are difficult to love. And as we love people that are difficult to love, the Holy Spirit is able to work through us to help them receive the good news. God wants to work through us to help people that are far from God come to God. But those people, those people aren't going to come to God through us until they first understand that we actually do care about them. You tracking with me? Like, think about, think about when someone tries to convince you of something that you really don't necessarily want to hear. I guarantee you, unless you know that they actually care about you, you do not want to hear what they have to say. It doesn't matter how many facts they have. It doesn't matter how many PowerPoint presentations or how many videos. If you don't feel like they actually care about you, you are not interested in what they have to say. It's just human nature. My wife and I, when we were first married, uh, we were working at a very small church, making nothing, just completely broke. And uh, I saw that we get free brewer's tickets by going to a timeshare presentation. And I was like, babe, we are going. We are getting those free brewer's, brewer's tickets. Joke's on them. We have no money. We cannot buy the timeshare. So we went, we sat through the timeshare presentation and the, you know, then they send you into the little cubicle with the guy that sits across from you and tries to convince you. And I actually felt bad for him. So I'm like, I'm like, I told him right off the bat. I'm like, bro, we have no money. We are not buying today. But he's like, I still got to do this presentation. I'm like, okay, go for it. But you know, as he's talking, like, and he's, and obviously like, you know, he, but, but here's the thing I could tell he didn't really care about me. He didn't try to get to know me. And I don't blame him for that, but like, there, there were, as he tried to convince me that I, need, that I needed to buy this timeshare presentation, I was like, no, you don't really care about me. You just you want to make money, which is fine. But I'm not interested in what you have to say because I don't feel like you actually care about me. Now, if someone else, if one of my friends had come to me and been like, John, there's this timeshare presentation and like, you should really do it. It is so good. Like, I would have listened to them. I still would have been broken, not done it, but I would have listened to them. You understand what I'm saying? Like, we, you have to know someone cares about you before you want to hear what they have to say. And God wants to use us to impact the people around us. But folks, we gotta get to a, we gotta get to a place where we genuinely care about the people around us before we share the good news with them. Here's a question that I want us to wrestle with when it comes to this first point. Do you share the gospel with others? Because you want them to change to make your world better? Or do you share the gospel with others because you genuinely love them? I'm going to say that one more time. Do you share the gospel with others because you want them to change to make your world better? Or do you share the gospel with others because you genuinely care about them? I think sometimes the outside world looks at Christians and they go... I don't want anything to do with your message because 
you're telling me to change because it's going to make your life easier, not because you care about me. And unfortunately, sometimes they're not wrong. As followers of Jesus, sharing the good news of God starts with genuinely caring for the people we're sharing with. Some of us, if we feel nudged on this first challenge, might, might just want to pray a very simple but very difficult prayer this week. Father, help me to genuinely love the people in my life that are hard to love. Father, help me to genuinely love the people in my life that are hard to love. That's my first challenge for you. Second challenge, take your role seriously. During World War I in August of 1917, a battle took place. It was later called the Battle of Hill 70. It was on the Western Front. It took place between some Canadian battalions and the German army. And at one point in the battle, the German army began to overtake the Canadian battalions. They broke through their ranks, and they actually got so far that they were able to sever all wires of communication between the Canadian uh, battalions and headquarters, which was a ways away. And the situation quickly became dire. Uh, if word didn't get back to headquarters to send reinforcements, all the battalions in that area were going to be wiped out by the German army. And so the Canadian uh, battalion, they sent two runners through heavy fire back to headquarters to take a message that, hey, we need reinforcements. The first runner was killed very quickly. The second runner was a 19-year-old by the name of Harry Brown. Harry Brown, I think we have a picture of him. Harry Brown ran through heavy fire. In fact, uh, he sustained multiple injuries, including having his arm shattered. But he continued refusing to give up, and eventually he made it to headquarters, handed them his message, and immediately collapsed. Harry Brown undoubtedly single-handedly saved the lives of many, many men that day. He, however, died of his injuries the next day. He was awarded Canada's highest military honor, the Victoria Cross, 19 years old. Harry Brown was entrusted with a message and he understood what was on the line and he was willing to do whatever it took, which ended up costing him his life to get that message back to headquarters. The Apostle Paul says in, in chapter 2, verse 3, for the appeal we make does not spring from air impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Paul says, I speak as one entrusted with the gospel. I've been, I've been entrusted with this good news. And so I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to go from town to town and be chased out of towns and thrown in prison and tortured because I understand what has been given to me. I've been entrusted with good news. And because of Paul and people like him in that first century and the centuries moving forward, because people were, were people understood the message that they were entrusted with, because of Paul and people like him, you and I are here today. 2,000 years later, halfway across the world, you and I are here today because of people like Paul who are willing to pay the price to share the good news of God. Friends, do we wake up each day with an understanding that we have been entrusted with the gospel of God? If you are a follower of, of Christ in the room, you have been entrusted with the good news of God. And there are people in your life and you are the only messenger 
that God wants to use to share hope, to share joy, to share the good news of God. And they desperately need to hear it. You know, Pastor Mike is going back to get his doctorate. I don't know if you knew that. So in a little while, all the staff uh, get to call Mike Dr. Belanti. We're really looking forward to that. <laughs> no, we're happy for Mike. You know, it's easy to think, you know, I'll just leave sharing the gospel with, with the doctors. You know, the really highly educated, the pastors, the podcasters. But we all have been entrusted with the good news. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have been entrusted with the good news and you have an opportunity. And I want to make it real clear, right? I don't want this to feel like a burden. You wake up tomorrow and be like, oh my gosh, I've been entrusted with the good news. No, 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 no. And let me take that pressure off. Understand this. Your job, your opportunity is to love people well. And as you see opportunity, share the good news of God, but you don't change or save anyone. The Holy Spirit does that. We can feel this weight of like, I got to change this person. I got to save this person. No, you don't do that. You're not Superman. You're not Superwoman. God changes people. Holy Spirit changes people. But you do have an opportunity to love the people in your life. And as God gives you opportunities, to share good news with them. So what would it look like this week to wake up each day And be reminded, I have been entrusted with good news. And as I love the people around me, God is going to give me opportunities to share that good news with them. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your love. Without your love, without a loving God who has demonstrated his love for us, it would be impossible for us to love the difficult people in our life. But we thank you for your love. And now, Father, I pray for, for all of us, I pray you would give us the courage and the wisdom to love the people around us well and to see the opportunities to share the beautiful good news. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, John.